This episode is brought to you in part by The Good Book Company, publisher of Does the Bible Affirm Same-Sex Relationships? by Rebecca McLaughlin, a book that examines 10 claims about the Bible's view of sexuality. Go to thegoodbook.com slash sexualethics to receive 25% off with code CT25. I think now, as best we can, is to start getting into a habit of, you know, taking care of our hearts, taking care of our minds. My podcast guest today is Ira Antoine, and the subject is decision fatigue. Yes, that exhaustion you feel when there are just too many decisions to be made and no one else to make them. Ira has been the pastor of Minnehula Baptist Church in Goliad, Texas for 14 years. He's also the director of Texas Baptist's Bivocational Pastors Ministry. In this conversation, Ira offers a lot of practical help for an issue that every leader will face during seasons of challenge, including asking what is decision fatigue, why are we facing it, and what can we do about it. We recorded this in the middle of the pandemic, so you'll notice some of these references are a little dated, but the issues that he brings up are evergreen, no matter what kind of crisis or series of decisions we may be making in the pastorate. Don't forget to stick around when the interview is done. I'll come back with an overview of the content and an answer to the question, can this work in a small church? It is great to be with you or to have you with us today, uh, Ira Antoine. You and I uh, don't really know each other. We've just seen each other through these little boxes on Zoom a couple of times over this past year because we're both a part of a ministry where small church pastors and those who work in, work helping small church pastors meet every once in a while to discuss how can we do this better. Um, so uh, the last time we met, which was just a week or two ago, we were uh, talking about all kinds of different subjects, and you brought up a subject, and you said some things that I thought were so wise and so important about the subject that I thought, you know what, I, this deserves a further conversation. And the subject you brought up was, you called it decision fatigue. Yes. Can you tell us what decision fatigue is and give us a quick outline of, of what it is so we can begin that conversation? I think it's so important for us. Yeah, so... Thank you, Carl. Uh, so the decision fatigue for me over this last 10 months or 11 months almost now, um, we've had to make um, decisions on the fly. So they change. So you make a decision uh, about are you gonna, when you're going to start up again or what are you going to do now uh, in light of the pandemic, in light of the, the restrictions that you have. And as soon as you make that decision, um, Something changed. Some guidelines changed. Some new numbers came out, and you have to make a you have to make a change midstream. So it could be Monday morning. You're saying, "Okay, guys, we're gonna we're gonna do it this way next week." By Wednesday, things have changed. Whatever whatever the change is, so now you have to change. It, it's like calling audibles all play all along uh, during during the whole. You know, it's never like going in a huddle and just saying. We're going to see. It's kind of like when you get to the line, you call an audible. Uh, if I could use that, that kind of metaphor. Uh, and, and it's just hard. It's just hard because 
you don't know what to do. So you, on a Saturday, you're kind of thinking Sunday's going to be like this, right? Because nothing changed Friday, but something did change Saturday or Sunday morning. And so it becomes when that's every week and, and three, four times a week, it, it's a fatigue. It's a, it's a constant strain on the mind and the heart because you don't know, you don't know what to do. So for instance, we were trying to plan out when would we reopen the church, um, maybe in the summertime. So we, we took off April, May, we said, let's try Let's try June. Well, come the end of uh, May, June didn't see like it would, could be a possibility. So you push it a couple of weeks into June and then you have to push it a couple of weeks. And then we didn't really start reopening until like September. Um, but at that point, you just fatigue your decision-making yeah. process. It's just fatigue. You fatigue because of decision-making. So just like our bodies can get tired when we're constantly on the go and not getting enough rest, our yes. brains can get fatigued as well. Uh, because there's, there's a big difference between the kinds of decisions that we're used to making, even as pastors and even as people in leadership, where we have a, a fairly high level of decision-making that, that, you know, affects people. When you've done it a few years, there's a certain pattern to the way we make decisions that become right. habitual and then take less energy. Yes. Right? A, so, that's right. It's like a yeah. rhythm. You get into a rhythm. You get into a rhythm. That's right. Right. So, if you know, at the beginning, first year or two in pastoring, every decision is exhausting because you're just not sure. And then you get it wrong. And so it changes. But after a handful of years in ministry, you kind of know how the decision making process is going to go Sunday to Sunday, season by season, budget seasons coming up, Christmas seasons coming up. Right. And so right. the first few times you do it, it's all front brain uh, learning curve exhaustion. Mm -hmm. Year five, year 10, a lot of that becomes automatic. And so now you only have to dedicate certain small parts of your decision making into thinking up new strategies, uh, you know, wondering, should we adapt this current thing in slight ways? But now we get into this season and it's been, you know, it's been the better part of a year. Um, by the time this podcast actually comes out, it, it may have been a full year or more of decisions that we didn't expect to be making on a regular basis. And once we make the decision, like you said, we make a decision that we hope to put it, that we would normally put in place for months at a time, only to find out two days later, the state regulations have changed. Yes. 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 <laughs> or the medical situation has changed or our ability to physically be in the building has changed in ways we never considered before. So all of a sudden we're going from 90% automatic decisions through habit and 10% conscious learning decisions to mm -hmm. maybe as much as 50% or more brand new decisions that we never th thought we'd have to make. And those are actually physically exhausting on the brain. It, act it actually neurologically to our physical brain causes a greater expenditure of energy. Yes, exactly. Absolutely. You, you go to bed tired, you wake up tired. In the middle of the day, you're tired, you know. I'm just glad it's not just me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I know it's more than us, you know, it, it, it definitely. And then for those of us who are, you know, in church situations where you're a small membership church, small staff, a lot of those things really, you, you are the person, you are the point person. 
So you have to make all those decisions, you know. And we hadn't even talked, you know, you mentioned about changing the state regulations or guidelines, changing in numbers. You hadn't even mentioned about what happens if one or two staff members, volunteers that is, get sick with COVID. Oh, yeah. Now you got a, another kind of thing when you only have three praise leaders and two gets COVID. What do you do? Yeah. And, I, and, and that's in addition to your pastoral concern for their well-being, absolutely. which is a massive burden. <laughs> and that's a that's a burden. And then, you know, so it's uh, it's it, and, it, and, it, and I myself, you know, I contracted the COVID recently. Oh, so, yeah. So and my wife and I, we're doing great. You know, we, we're coming out of it. But again, you're concerned that, man. Did I hurt anybody? Did I affect anybody along yeah. the way? Uh, I did, so, so now you have that concern, and you, dude, man, it's just yeah. Well, it it, it feels. I'm 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 thinking of the Apostle Paul when he talks about all of the all of the difficult things that he endured, right, for the sake of the gospel, and then he yes. said, even even more so, my concern for you. Yes, yes, yes. Right. He, that's what, like yeah, that's yeah. One of my favorite yeah, practice in Corinthians. That's right. That's right. Yeah, exactly. That's right. Yeah, that's and then and, I, and, and so and then on top of that, the burden for you. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So we're under the decision fatigue, and mm-hmm. then we have this crisis going on, and people who we know and love are getting sick. And in some churches, we've lost. I mean, in our church, I lost a dear friend. He, he passed yeah. away from COVID. So, mm-hmm. which and their illness and and their loss weighs much more heavily on a pastor's heart than the decision fatigue. But all of it together. Is an actual uh, it, it, fatigue is the right word because it it, it mm-hmm. is it is an actual expenditure of of energy from our bodies and from our minds that is not made up. It's not just like <clears throat> it's not like oh you're not strong enough to handle the emotion of it or whatever or, or whatever. It is it is exactly the same as working eight hours a day in an extremely physically mm-hmm. demanding job and going home physically exhausted to make these kinds of decisions in this manner, the the mental and spiritual exhaustion is just as real, just as valid, and needs to be treated with the same level of concern and of care for um, for for re, re-energizing ourselves that we would if we were exhausted physically, right? Absolutely. You know, if it was a physical job, per se, I could give my body rest. I could literally sit down, lay down. Um, I could take some Tylenol or some kind of pain reliever, and it's going to ease that, right? But with the mind, my, at least my mind, it doesn't shut off. Right. So, so although I'm trying to, I'm trying to relax and think about or not think about some things, it's constantly, it's constantly firing off. These these neutrons are just constantly going, and and you know, other than sedating myself, uh, which is the fear, which is the caution that we all have to take, right? Because mm-hmm. yeah. you don't want to, we don't want to be artificially, you know, be it sleepy time tea or anything that's not, you know, not of God of in our bodies. And uh, again, if, if it was a physical thing, you and I could take a nap, or yep. we can go sit down and rest a minute, and. And, and we'll be good, but man, when it's the mind, it's it's, well, pl- uh, plus it's a constant phys- thing. Yeah, plus physical exhaustion doesn't have the stigma 
that mental and emotional That's exhaustion right. carries. Like if I'm tired physically, That's I don't right. have a problem admitting to someone, man, I'm really feeling tired. But there's something about the mental and emotional exhaustion that we have a hard time admitting that we feel like we're admitting to a sin or a weakness that we shouldn't have, that somehow (laughs) there's something uh, morally (laughs) wrong with us if we we admit to spiritual and emotional uh, exhaustion. It's like this taboo, right? It's, it's 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 like we should not feel emotionally. And, and, you know, and the truth is, man, in our profession, Carl, that's what people say to us is, why are you tired? You didn't, you didn't, you didn't go work at a place today, 10 hours, you know, uh, gaming hay or tossing any kind of, no, but it's the, but it is the, it is the mental anguish. You know, when you think about it, it's like, like, like when Paul said to Timothy, he says, you know, Timothy, you're stressing, man. He never mentioned about Timothy's physical is- issues. He says, you're stressing to the point where it's like, it's like he's probably have some ulcer, ulcer kind of symptoms. This is, you know, take the wine to kind of settle your stomach. Well, that, that's an, that emotional toll of ministry, uh, caused a physiological issue. So, so my mental fatigue causes my physical fatigue. And I could easily mm-hmm. say, man, I'm just wore out. And someone that says, well, why do you wore out? W- what did you carry all day long? You know, what did what blocks did you move around the street? And I'm like, yeah. just the block of your my thoughts about you all day in, in ministry. Yeah. yeah. And it has that, you know, it has that trickle down effect from the mind to the physiological. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, it, since this podcast is specifically um, targeting to helping us uh, sp- pastors of smaller congregations. Um, let's talk yeah. about how this specifically takes a toll on the pastor of a smaller congregation. And I'm going to even guess a rural pastor more than an urban or suburban pastor for a couple of reasons. So, but, but first of all, one of the reasons this is particularly important and difficult and needs a different approach for a smaller church is if you're in a larger church and you have a staff, as you you know mentioned earlier, and you have a staff, you just simply have more shoulders who can bear the burden. You can get together. If you don't know about a decision, let's pull the team together and let's have a brainstorming session and let's bring people who have you know, executive backgrounds and who are, you know, let's task you with t- keeping track of the of the state regulations and let's task you with keeping track of the medical regulations and you can check in with the denomination and everybody brings all of their stuff together mm-hmm. and you have this meeting. It's still challenging, but it is a, a, a much, much less fatiguing on the primary leader when they've got other people who can bear some of that emotional and mental uh, ba- weight upon them. So it's shared. But in a smaller congregation, the pastor is dealing with it alone. And in, in, a, in, in a rural congregation, what you just mentioned earlier about people going, well, what are you so tired for? You didn't bail hay all day. I have never had one person in my congregation in Orange County, California, tell me, why are you so tired? You didn't bail hay all day. <laughs> because <laughs> I live in a, in a predominantly white collar community where we got a lot of you know, sure. graphic designers and so on around us, but mm-hmm. there's nobody who knows how to nail p- two pieces of wood together in my, in, in the congregation. <laughs> That's, we're just not blue collar. It's a white collar area. So th- they yeah. have more of an appreciation where I am for the mental fatigue, because that's what they're dealing with in their workplace to a larger degree. But if you're rural 
And a lot of people are farmers and ranchers and repair people who are doing this, this hard physical labor and, and this, this extremely value, valuable, obviously, physical labor. Sure. It can sometimes be, there's a little more of, a, of an understanding gap between between the physical those who do physical labor and those who do mental labor so uh, i know you're bivocational as well as working you know uh we, for a denomination so you do you, you kind of have you have two uh very two ministry hats that are distinct and you work with a lot of smaller congregations so how yeah. what what are some ways that you've seen that this particularly affects the smaller congregation pastor, and maybe even specifically the rural pastor. First of all, as a guy from Orange County, California, have I, uh, have I, do I, is what I stated about rural pastors somewhat in the ballpark of reality, or am I just missing it because I'm so distant from it? No, I think you're right, Carl. Um, yeah. You're right. Um, so, so to your, to your point, you do have in those in the in the rural context, and and let me just say, you could also have that in in your urban context as well, because you know some oh, yeah. particular some churches, you know, but 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 specifically, you know, because the church that I serve is in a rural context, and so you, you're going to have those blue collar workers, uh, those laborers, um, and, and, and too, you will have those professionals, uh, white collar workers, but but vast majority in those type of communities, you you are going to have. Uh, the the blue collar workers and so um, what they're facing uh, and what they see again th- this was this was pre pandemic pastor how was your week what did you do all week you know uh, well, mm-hmm. I prayed and I you know I prepared for lessons and oh you know as a bivocational pastor I had many meetings with other pastors and oh so you didn't do much today you didn't do yeah. much this week yeah you know so <laughs> sure <laughs> so. So, so, you know, so, so when you ask, what did you do? And they're like, oh man, you know, I, you know, I, I did a hundred acres, uh, the first hundred acres on Monday through Thursday. And then I just did the back half. And so like, oh, okay. Uh, or, or I worked at a particular, uh, refinery or something like that. Sure. In our context, not for those pastors, you know, what you said. So we don't necessarily have, uh, they don't necessarily have those all those staff runners, and now the staff that we do have may be volunteer staff, uh, who, by the way, are also working, uh, and they could be blue collar, white collar, professor, it, it, or no collar. You know, you, exactly, you got the yeah. guy who's the who's the, who's the tech guy who sits at his house, and you know, that's the no collar guy, like you guys in Orange County. But uh, there we go. But, or backwards collar. Or backwards <laughs> collar. Yeah, right, right, right. I like that one. Yeah. So, so, so. So, so we we have to lean upon those volunteers um, who 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 themselves can have a pulse of the community because they're right there, which is which is an advantage. It's good because they they are working alongside of people and they can report back to me. The other side of it is is that man they're in the throes of it. They're just as tired. They're just as concerned. But at the end of the day, it's going to be on that single person, that single staff person to come in and say, okay, what are we going to do this week? How how are we going to, how is this going to happen? What's going to happen? Um, Even if you had one or two people that you can lean on to be good. And now a short break to talk about something else. If you like the content you're hearing, here are two things you can do for us. First, forward this podcast to a friend. Second, consider becoming a Patreon partner. For as little as $3 a month, you can help us put these resources into the hands of the ministries that need it the most. Our Patreon link is in the show notes.
This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Grieve, Breathe, Receive, Finding a Faith Strong Enough to Hold Us, written and narrated by Pastor Steve Carter. Grieve, Breathe, Receive. Those three words became a profound mantra for Steve Carter during a season of deep healing, the kind that comes after painful trauma. Grieve, Breathe, Receive is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Visit thomasnelson.com audio to learn more. Let's pivot then from, from we understand the concern, we understand that it is even more severe in a smaller congregation and often um, often even even a different type of challenge within a rural congregation. Let's talk about some of the solutions. What would be some of the things that you would recommend to smaller church pastors to do um, as they as we navigate our way through decision fatigue and even as you know, hopefully very soon, you know, the pandemic comes to an end. I think once pandemic is over, we're still going to have a couple years of a decision-making that we've never had before as we start to see some of the fallout from it. And as people start to go back to work or can't go back to work because their jobs don't exist or are dealing with, you know, just the, the emotional and, and a mental mental strain that all of this is, is born on us. It, it uh, I, I use the, um, I use the illustration in when I wrote uh, the church recovery guide about this. I said, uh, closing the church buildings and going into pandemic was like turning off a light switch. It happened almost immediately. Sure. Coming back will not be like flipping that light switch back on again. It's going to be more like going to physical therapy for months. We're going to have to learn to use the muscles that have atrophied, and we're going to find ourselves in a different sort of decision stress. But as we do come out of that, uh, what would be some of your uh, thoughts uh, and ideas for our fellow pastors to help um, maintain uh, maintain our physical and emotional health and balance as we're battling decision fatigue. No, I think I think you're right. It's it, it definitely is a light switch that went on, but yet you know it's going to be a um, a physical therapy over some season, over some time frame. Um. I think now, as best we can, is to start getting into a habit of, you know, taking care of our hearts, taking care of our minds, um, you know, spiritual disciplines. Um, you know, I know that sounds, you know, cliches or, or just a spiritual answer, but I think that's the answer. I think mm -hmm. the answer is going to be that you have to stay physically fit. You have to stay mentally fit, uh, emotionally. All those things are going to have to be important uh, imperatives, and it must start now. We can't wait until, okay, the pandemic is over. Because I, I suspect Carl, here's what's going to happen, brother. I suspect that we're going to have some folks who, after the pandemic, when you know, when this is just like when it's no restrictions, and again, when that is going to be, I'm not quite sure. But you're going to have folks who're going to basically say, "Look, I'm out. I I'm tapping out." I stayed the long haul. I, I'm in it. I wasn't going to quit in the middle of it because I wouldn't want to abandon anyone. But but there are some who have. But now they're going to just be tired, man, because they're not going to know what to do. So it's going to add on top of that fatigue. The, the, the new fatigue or the next fatigue is going to be how do I keep or how do I get this congregation back? Yeah. How do I get 
you know, that, that again, that apathy you call it. So, 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 so now I'm having conversations with our, with our, with our church members every week in some way or another, I'm saying to them, listen, y'all, we cannot get comfortable being at home. We cannot get comfortable being at home. We got to figure out, you got, I know slowly come back so forth and so on. The numbers are up and down. That's fine. But, but do not. So that's a constant encouragement on my part to yeah. the membership. And I got to encourage me, man, because, you know, I had, I had one of the key, one of my key leaders ask me just, just this week. So pastor, how are you going to pull this church back together? What are you going to wow. do? I mean, just how, how you, what, what, what are you going to do? And I'm going to tell you, Carl, what it did for me was it caused me, and I'll, I'll just be transparent um, in the spirit of transparency for uh, my fellow uh, Yolkman. I went into depression just by that question. Yeah. That question. And, and I, and I know what you know, That's a heavy. It was, it was, it was a heavy. I just kind of shut down for a day and a half, almost two days, literally. Cause I'm like, I, I don't know. So, and, and they didn't mean it in a malicious way. They, they were just asking, right. What, what, Pastor, what are you going to do? So, so, you know, that burden is on that leader uh, you know, what, 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 what are you, what are you going to do now? Um, how, how are we going to get the people motivated again? So I had to motivate myself. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I got to have conversations with a Carl as an iron sharpened iron. I got to have a conversation, you know, with a John Sanders or I got to have a, you know, somebody else and just, and just, Hey man, let me just talk through this or, or even, you know, even talk to some professionals. I mean, can't be shame about it. Say, listen, Here's where I am. Um, I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to therapy, not during this season, but during a season when I was almost left ministry, really burned out, all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And I went to find, I found a Christian counselor and I sat down with him and I paid him 75 bucks an hour. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it was money we could not afford, but I couldn't afford not to. Yes, right. And, you know, and I was in, a, I was just, I had put myself in a situation where I didn't have close friends that I could just sit down and talk to for free. So I had to pay yeah. somebody. Now yeah. I've got yeah. friends. Now I, I don't need to pay for therapy because I've actually developed <laughs> friendships where I can actually sit down and have just have, have healthy conversations with friends who understand enough about ministry, but have enough distance from my particular situation to give me some objectivity. And so that I can be bluntly honest with them because I'm not portraying confidences. And most yeah. pastors, we're far too isolated in our relationships to be able to do that. So we need to, we need, first of all, I think a lot of us, we need to take a nap. <laughs> we don't do Sabbath well. Pastors do not do Sabbath well. We do, do the not. worship part of Sabbath well. We don't do the rest part of Sabbath well. And I think it is just as dishonoring to Sabbath and to God we we get upset at people who rest on Sabbath but don't worship on Sabbath, but we worship on Sabbath and don't rest on Sabbath, and that's just as dishonoring to God as the other way. Worship and rest both need to be a part of our Sabbath. So we can't do it on a Sunday, then we need to have a Sabbath that we take for rest. And if we don't do that, we're not honoring God or our own bodies or our own mental health or our families or anything. So we need to rest. We need to understand that mental exhaustion affects, as you said already, physical exhaustion. So we need to keep keep ourselves in physical shape. I put on my COVID-19 
<laughs> I'll confess it. You know, there've been seasons, there've been times where, you know, right now ice cream just is going to make me feel good for a bit. And for a little bit, I need to feel ice cream good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but yeah. there comes a season where you're going to go at the, at a certain point, it just becomes bad, bad, bad. And we've got to, so we've got to, we've got to take a nap. We've got to get up and we've got to move. You've already talked about already bringing people in beside you as a team in the congregation itself so that there are other shoulders for us to lean on, especially in small churches. We, we, the question you had that, boy, that was such a heavy, too many small church pastors respond to that question by just working harder. Mm -hmm. And they're already yeah. working at a hundred percent and you can't work harder than a hundred percent, no matter how guilty that question makes you feel. So you, you're going to have to recalibrate and figure, okay, if we're going to do this, we got to do it together and we're going to have to start relying on a team, even if that means we're going to have to start putting a team together. I, I totally agree. And, and really, you know, um, and so let me add another element to that. Not only in a small okay. church, but what about the, you know, the bivocational pastor? So, mm -hmm. so, uh, you know, we say take a Sabbath. So, you know, we work on Sunday. So let's say, for instance, you use Thursday as your Sabbath day. Let's just pick a day. Sure. Say, you know what? Thursday is my Sabbath day. Uh, that bivocational pastor does not, he cannot, or she cannot say, Thursday is going to be my Sabbath day. Saturday may be their Sabbath day, but Sabbath, Saturday is also the day you catch up on all the yard work and yep. in the housework and time with family. <clears throat> Um, and so, you know, my heart goes out to those as a bivocational pastor, because you're trying to figure out what day, what day you really going to do Sabbath. Cause I tell yeah. people I work on Sunday. I, you know, Sunday's a work day for me, even in the pandemic, even if I pre-record my sermons and put them out there, guess what? I still have to monitor when it goes out and I'm interacting with people. So. Did I take off? Not really. I recorded. I made sure it got put up, but I'm also interacting as though I would on a Sunday. Yeah. Um, and so, and so, but to your point, we've got to be able to get them in sync. And so, and the family has to get involved in that. So for some of us, it may be where it's half of a Saturday is your Sabbath. You know, you say, listen to the family. I, I need, from six in the morning to two in the afternoon and I give the family the rest of the day or, or you mm -hmm. flip it, you pick one, but, but that's going to have to happen. And, and you brought up a good point, uh, Carl, and that is friendships, man, relationships, finding those, those guys for, for, for us male pastors and female pastors, find, finding those persons that you can surround yourself a small number that you can, that you can share with and they can share with you it's a safe place it's kind of like you know kind of that old saying what happens in vegas stays in what happens stays in this group and so for me um back at early april this of 2020 i started a zoom group uh of rural pastors it's like eight of us and every monday we meet it's 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 like our fellowship time It's nothing deep and heavy or nothing is how you're doing, how was your week, how was your weekend, and we just share, you know, and, yeah. and how can we how can we pray for each other? And that has been tremendous help throughout the pandemic, you know, where where we 
And we all have this with my vocation, we're small membership churches, we're in a rural context. So all those, that commonality helped us. And um, and it was organic. Now that was the other side of it, it was organic. So it was a few of us just say, hey man, let's just, let's just start chatting on Monday night. And before you know it, it's like, it's a standing meeting, but it was yeah. organic. It, it wasn't something that you just forced, um, but yeah. it has been helpful. I've heard from those guys on a number of cases, on a number of occasions said, man, um, I needed this. And and, and here and here was the deal. We had, we have a guy who's in ministry, who's been in ministry. I mean, I've been in ministry over 30 years. Another guy's been in ministry, a couple of guys, like one other guy, 30 years. We have one, 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 one young man. He's just, he just barely made it to his thirties. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> So we've been in ministry longer than he's been living, but he's new to pastor. You know, this is like his fifth year. And he said, he said, I needed this. I needed to see guys who have been in ministry 30 years saying, I don't know what to do. Yeah, I don't know what to do. Wow. He said, that was refreshing for me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and we said, well, you know, technology, we don't know that. So, you just, you know, you're you're a millennial, so we need you to give us all your. So, so it's it's been helpful, but but to your yeah. point, we need to have those friendships, those those groups around you, man. It 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 helps it helps a whole lot. Absolutely, I I think one of the it, you know, I always want to find even in a difficult situation, I want to find something I can learn, some value that I can take from it. So even in this horrible time of pandemic and all of the difficulties of it. If we come out of it and we don't take something of value out of it, then it's all a loss. And and it seems to me that one of the things we can take out of it is what you just mentioned. Before pandemic began, I'd never heard of Zoom. We had Skype, and for some reason, it fell off the face of the earth. And all of a sudden, it's Zoom. But if if this pandemic had hit even five years ago, we would not have been able to do what you and I are doing right now, which is a video conference for free. That was not available, not widely enough for, for us to utilize in our churches and among pastors, even five years ago. We have that technology. It has been hyper sped up in its advancement because of the pandemic, which now means for the first time ever, rural pastors who would say, I don't have any other pastors nearby me. How can I have relationships with other pastors? I'm by myself out in this little town disconnected from other towns. And that is a very real sense of isolation that I do not diminish at all. But right now we have an opportunity to connect with other people electronically that don't have to be physically near us. So when we are able to be physically near each other, if you're in an area where you've got local pastors physically get together, there's an aspect of that that cannot be duplicated online. But if you are in a place of isolation, continue to utilize the technology that allows you to create and maintain relationships with other pastors who don't have to physically, geographically be near you anymore because we have the technology to do it. Don't abandon that technology after this is done and go back to your self-geographical isolation because it isn't necessary anymore. And I'm not saying that in any way to... To, to challenge, or, or but to encourage the rural pastor, you don't have to feel as alone as you felt anymore. Let's use the technology to make those connections. I, I totally agree. I think, I, I, I'm with you. I think we have to take advantage of the pandemic and learn from it. And, 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 and that was one of the things that I learned, what you just said, that it made the world smaller and yeah. more accessible, you know, because 
because I say to you, not only from a rural connection of those guys every Monday or how we meet, like you and I are meeting now across the country. Globally speaking, it's the same thing where, where I've, I've conducted um, trainings for uh, pastors in Africa and in Mexico via Zoom didn't cost, you know, but stayed with that connection. Now, those, those persons in those re remote villages in Africa that I visited with in person a couple of years ago, we met by Zoom. Um, now, they have some challenges their own. I got that. But here's the questions they're asking. They're saying, how do we continue this? Okay, Zoom is here to stay now. It's, it's, it's not going to go away. We, we got it. Something may be improved on it, but we've got it. And so it's, it's really shrunk the world. I mean, it's made us made it more accessible. And, and, and I totally agree. Once this is over, I think our, our Zoom calls on Mondays will probably continue. My prayer is that others can start. But here's what's going to happen. When we are able to meet, we will say something like this. Hey, guys, um, this month is a fifth Sunday uh, in it. Uh, what do you guys do in the Saturday before? Is there any way that we can meet and have dinner together and break bread four times a year? You can bring those those folks together. If nothing else, just like that, just say, we don't have to just do Zoom, but now we've incorporated our families in this and and so forth. And, and you've made us great. You, you've made it. You've made it much stronger. Yeah, that's great. And, and another, you know, silver lining to the difficulty is not only technologically are we able to do the video conference, but now we have developed um, an emotional. Um, we're emotionally okay with it. If, uh, <laughs> I, a couple of years ago, if somebody had, had said to me, "Hey, we'd like you to do a video conference seminar for us." There been a, there would have been a whole lot of people that have gone. Well, it's not a real seminar if it's video conference. It's only a real seminar if you're physically in the room. We now recognize no, it's a real seminar. <laughs> We'd prefer yes. to be in the room, but being yes. by Zoom does not make it not real. And same That's way right. with personal connection. Yes, it would be better to physically be in the room, but there is now an emotional acceptance of this that allows for relationship that did, could not have happened before pandemic forced us to realize we can make these connections. We can overcome the technological difficulties, and we can actually get to know people through these strange little screens. Um, and so let's, let's, let's use the fact that one, the technology ad has advanced and two, there's an emotional acceptance of it to actually utilize it to develop the relationships that we need. I like that. I, I, I like, I, I like that term, emotional acceptance. And that's, yep. and, that, and that's, isn't that, isn't that what it is? Because, you know, pre-pandemic, you had guys who were saying, I'm not going to do Facebook Live. I'm not going to yeah. use social media for ministry. And and now they're the guys calling me going, say, Ira, dude, what's the convention recommendation? And and do you all have any kind of special deals? I said, it's, yeah, everybody get a deal. It's free. Just, just get you an account, dude. But, yeah. but, but it's an emotional. It is an emotional. I love it. It's an, an emotional acceptance. And that's where it is. Now, okay. some of our members haven't grasped that emotional acceptance, especially when it comes to small membership churches in the rural community. Yeah, because it's all point. about it's all about relationship. It's all about touching and feeling. And I and I say to you, some of our some of the pastors that I talk to in the rural context, that's the some that's some of the feedback 
or the pushback, let me use that phrase, that they're getting from some of their members, especially those that are in the boomer age group. You know, they're like, look, Pastor, I got you, man. Um, <clears throat> I understand we can't meet, but I'm not logging in. I'm right. just, I, I'm not feeling yep. it. And, and, and can you just have a service and just have boomers in the room? You know, and they're like, <laughs> and this pastor is like, no, we all we have underlying issues, guys. I mean, come on. Yeah. But yep. but and so and so so we as leaders, church leaders, yes, we've got that emotional acceptance, but we do recognize that some of our some of our members still do not have that emotional acceptance there. And again, that's what the that's what that question to my for my church member was to me. My key leader said, Pastor, what are you going to do? Because, you know, some of those folks are just not. And they're faithful members. Carl, yeah. the, the, those folks, are they love the Lord. They love the minister. They love their local church. Um, they, they're going to give to it. Uh, but it's just, you know. Yeah. So so now you ask the question, what, what is Pastor going to do getting ready? I got to get those folks back in and comfortable into the building while I watch this while I maintain us while I maintain a virtual presence in those in those in those small communities they'll be like so you still doing that Facebook stuff we're back and I'm mm-hmm. like yeah but we built an audience now right. and and and, and uh, so so now that that pastor that small church is gonna go I gotta run the I gotta have the camera running and I gotta make sure that Sister Mary gets her whole worship time because she doesn't want an, an abbreviated Facebook version of this thing. There we go. So she wants. To yeah, and so especially time. especially in the uh, smaller membership church, and especially in the rural church, and especially in the older membership church, and as many of those as many of those three things that you have piled up, the more you, we are going to have to exercise patience with those yes. who simply yes. who, who simply aren't. Many of them will never be emotionally ready to accept this as a part of the way they do church. And that's okay. That's not, not everybody's going to get to that place. So it's not a, so we can't dismiss them. We have to serve them, but we can't also uh, allow their, their lack of emotional acceptance to limit the fact that we're going to continue to move forward. So patience yes. while adapting to the new stuff as well. And that's we'll talk about, uh, a, a, a exhaustion right there. That's an exhausting emotional thing to be able to do all of those things at the same time. Be patient with the senior saint who doesn't want to be online while leaning more to the online things so that people see us and hear us and can come in and so that I can even make the connections that I need to make with other pastors. So all of that is challenging, but all of that is doable if we continue to take care of ourselves physically, emotionally, and spiritually as we're doing it. Mm-hmm. But the smaller the church, the more important it is for us to take care of our own spirits and hearts, emotions, and bodies. Totally agree. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, well, this is great. We could go on with this forever. There's good stuff here, but I got a lightning round series that I want to get to with you, Ira. So (laughs) let's Uh see here what we've got. Lightning round. We got, uh, we got a handful of questions here. First of all, what do you like most about small church ministry? Um, It's the family connection. It's the, it's the sense of being able that everyone really knows everybody and, um, and it really is just one large family, you know, at least, at least at my congregation in particular, 
it's just it's a family oriented um kind of thing and and it really makes you have to do the ephesians 4 thing before 11 you know equip the saints for works of service so you can't just you know you can't um put it off on a staff you gotta you gotta help them work together and um it is it is what the family is it's it's the small church it's the family yeah. Wonderful. What are the biggest changes you've seen in your field of ministry in the last few years and how have you adapted to it? Um, I think one of some of the biggest things have been just a change in um, gener- generational changes. So and what I mean by that is where, you know, we talk about this subjective and objective truth and and, and folks are just saying, you know, well, you just took things for granted. I mean, you just accepted it as truth. Well, that was 30 years ago when I started. That was 20 years ago when I was in it. Last 10 years or so, you're seeing this shift. This, we're going to call it a postmodern. And I've seen our membership have adapted. You know, our younger, our young adults are like, wait a minute. I heard you say that, but, you know, I need some, I, I, I got to, I'm not going to just accept it as such. Where, which makes me have to make sure that when I'm sharing and teaching and preaching, I'm gotta, I gotta hit both one who will accept it just because the pastor mm. said it, and another who says, Yeah, you said it, but you you are one of my references. You're not even uh, one of my authority. Yeah. You're one of my yeah. references. You know, where I'm the authority on one to one group, I'm the authority. To another group, I'm a reference point, you know. Um, and so, and so that's been a change with, uh, within ministry, just having to go and I'll, and I'll say this, especially in an African-American context. I mean, I don't, in case you didn't notice, that's what I was, but, uh, (laughs) that's that's what I, the lighting is a little off, but, but, you know, for, for the black church, man, you know, the pastor is the point man. He is the, he's the resident theologian. That's it. Now we get into a generation now where like, hey, Pastor, I heard other people say this, or I've learned on, and their sources are, are again, it's the internet or wherever, or YouTube, the YouTube prophets and preachers. So so I'm having to uh, adjust adjust to that. That's that's been um one of the one of the greatest yeah. adaptions um, or changes that I've seen. Um, well, and challenges, even. That's great insight. That the, the, the different generations process your what you say through two different filters: one as an authority, and one as just another reference point. That's yeah. That's it. That's a huge takeaway. Thank you for that. I love that. Uh, third one: what free resource, like an app or a website or something like that, has helped you lately that you would recommend for small church ministry? Oh man. Um, so I use uh, this this software called StreamYard. Uh, it's it, it, and so what it does is it helps me get stuff out on Facebook and on YouTube at the same time. Uh, it's uh, there's a free component to it, but I, I went on ahead and I got the paid because I want to be able to do multiple things. Okay. But but but, th- but things like that, don't, you know, those are the, those are the resources, and then. You know, I mean, this is a shameless plug. You know, your materials, 
um, you know, the, the things that you put out have been have been have been helpful and others, you know, that you can just kind of it, it's out there now. So right. I don't think it's just one thing in particular. Uh, our convention, uh, Texas Baptists have free materials um, that I can go and I could I could pick up and I could share with our membership. One is to help me. But the other one is I can give it to the membership and say, listen, I need you guys to be reading this. You have a, an intellectual level that you can you can grasp and is and is written and designed, you know, for for a broad band of of, of, of intellect. So I don't have to be a scholar to, to, right. to do that. Yeah, great. I oh, appreciate that. The start, so that's Streamyard, Streamyard.com. Yeah. Streamyard.com. And, and, um, and so what it does is it takes you shoot you do like we're doing now a video conference or whatever on Streamyard, yeah. and it makes it easy to send it to YouTube, to Facebook, to Instagram or whatever to, is that what mm-hmm. it does? It kind of curates that and yes. makes it easier uh, to, to send and, and share in other places. Right. So, so basically okay. I create a, a broadcast. So I would say um, for instance, like my, my, my midweek Bible studies, I would send it out and I would set up uh, basically a broadcast it will send it to YouTube and to Facebook and say, and say, at this time, uh, at 6.30 on Wednesday, uh, Pastor Antoine is going to be sharing in Bible study. And it, it automatically puts, so I don't have to learn any kind of coding. As a, as a single staff pastor, I can do that myself. I don't have people, my technology team, to put that off on. So, okay, great. That's, so, so that's one of the things that I've helped and shit with some of our small membership church pastors. So listen, get StreamYard. Um, you know, you can pay for, you can, you can pay for one, uh, for, for it to be expanded, but, but a lot of it is free. And, um, and I can even invite uh, a guest on, like, like instead of having it on Zoom, I can invite a guest on and we can have a split screen just like Zoom. And it has just little nuances to it. But again, okay. it's easy to use. It's it's uh, it, it's it's self. It's it's a self learning kind of thing. So cool. I don't have a stack of manuals or anything like that. There's no learning right. learning curve. That's, that's my point. Awesome. I'll take a look at that myself. Great. Yeah. What's the best piece of ministry advice you've ever received? Um, or a top ten. It's hard to pick one that's the absolute yeah, best. Yeah. Yeah. So, um. I think as of late, um, God, that's a lot. Wow. Um, yeah. what, so, what, what would be, yeah, what would yeah. be a recent, <laughs> let's go with a recent one. What's one of the best ones recently? Okay. Right. So I was going to give you some, some of them. One of my mentors gave me when I was young in ministry. Let me just do it. Okay. So when sure. I first started, when I first started in ministry, first started in pastoring, the late Dr. Caesar Clark. He was the pastor of the Good Street Baptist Church in um, in Dallas, Texas. Uh, you look him up. Uh, he's just a legend among African-American pastors. Um, so Dr. Clark, back then he was in his 80s, you know. And uh, and I said, I said, Dr. Clark, I said, um, any advice that you can give to a young pastor? And he said, he said, he said, yes. And he talked very slow and methodical. He says, he says, he says, don't fleece the sheep. Don't fuss with the sheep. 
don't fool with the sheep, you know, and, you know, and don't, and, and don't, and, and, and don't flog the sheep. You know, he just, he just, wow. he's illiterative, right? So he says, yeah. he says, he says, he says, if you, if you cut them, if you shear them one week, you, you, you can't go the next week and do it again. The wound is not there. <laughs> so he said, he said, he said, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna cut into skin. And, and so, and so, so what he said to me was, at times when you're gonna have to, when you're gonna have to be hard and bring a hard word, it's not gonna be comfortable. But you can't do that every week to the sheep. Mm -hmm. They cannot bear it. He said, yeah, he said, he great. said, and 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 I, I took that. You know, one of my mentors. Pastor George Brooke retired, a pastor emeritus of the Mount Zion Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. He said to me, he said, Antoine, humility is good. It's, 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 humility and nobility is good. He said, but don't be stupid. I said, <laughs> I said, he said, uh, at one point in my first pastorate, finances had gotten low. And I, I just told him, don't worry about giving me a salary. Don't get, don't pay me. He goes, he says, yeah, those first couple of weeks, that's noble. He says, Week seven, I mean, week four through 10, that's stupidity, dude. He says, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he just, you know, and, and you need mentors like that, right? Yeah. He says, he says, he says, nobility is good. Nobility is good. But there's a thin line between nobility and stupidity. And you got to figure <laughs> out, you gotta figure out where that, where that, where that line is. And he, and he says, you know, rally, rally those men in your church and let them know what's going on. He says, it's noble that you're keeping it to yourself, but some of those men don't even know that you're doing that. You're doing it in private and they need to yeah. know it. And I tell you, I, I, I pulled some men together. I shared, they said, Pastor, we didn't know. And, and they, they caught up all of my back pay and they made sure that we were good. Oh, that kind of thing. And then, and then, and then the, as of recent, man, it's just, it would be, it would be this. Um, and you said it earlier. Um, rest. Mm -hmm. really rest, really, it's Mark 6, you know, come apart and rest a while, uh, to the point where I conduct conferences uh, for pastors and their wives. I call them a Mark 6 conference, where you come apart for the weekend and you just rest. No training, no sales pitch, no denominational uh, hype man or nothing. Just have dinner at, at a local restaurant, go to the movie, uh, Y'all rest. Go sit by the pool, um, but rest. Yeah. yeah. I, I heard an old, old pastor years ago referring to that specific verse, come apart and rest or you'll fall apart without rest. <laughs> I like that. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I love it. Yeah. yeah. All right. Last one. What's the funniest or weirdest thing you've ever seen in church? <laughs> uh, wow. So, again, Goes back to uh, uh, my heritage, it, it, it just uh, so you know in, in the Black Baptist Church, you know some of those sisters can get real fiery, man. And we had a we had a revivalist one time, and man, he was going after it. I mean, this guy was preaching the paint off the walls, right? And this one 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 senior saint, she got real happy, and uh, and she grabbed her purse, and and that's what that's the days when they had those large heavy purses man and she's she's getting ready to chuck it at the guy right and he go oh sister you know this ain't the spirit right now that <laughs> someone caught it and literally had to catch the person midair and pull it back because she was <laughs> wow she was throwing it. 
she was throwing it. And so, uh, you know, uh, the next, the next, the next night of revival, they made sure that she didn't bring a person to the sanctuary. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, and this, that's a true story. I, I, I wow. you can't make this kind of, you can't make this kind of stuff up. And that's so, amazing. And so, yeah, I said, well, purse is a deadly weapon. Star. Never. <laughs> a purse is a, It wasn't the gun in the purse. She was afraid of. It's just, <laughs> It's just, it's just, a, it's just the first, oh. and she was chunky, man. She was like, and and she just, man, and they caught it in midair, and uh, yeah, yeah. It was one of them heavy awesome. One of those small clutches. It was something heavy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Hey, thanks for your time today, Ira. I appreciate your wisdom Thank and you, your heart for for pastors very, very much. Thanks, buddy. Blessings to you, man. It's good. Good blessing. Thanks so much to Ira Antoine for such great wisdom in helping us understand what decision fatigue is, why it's important to acknowledge it, how it affects our bodies, our minds, our spirits, our relationships, and how to deal with it properly. So, the question in the title, can this work in a small church? Can a small church pastor overcome decision fatigue? The answer today is yes. If we do these four things, first of all, we have to recognize that we're dealing with it. You can't address something you don't know you're dealing with. Secondly, we have to find regular ways to rest and to re-energize, especially through the spiritual disciplines and especially through the specific spiritual discipline of Sabbath rest. Third, we have to destigmatize the reality of spiritual and emotional exhaustion. It's not wrong, it's not sinful, it's not weak to be tired emotionally, spiritually, and physically. And then fourth, we have to reach out and talk to people that we trust, even if it's through a Zoom meeting, even if it's electronically, but especially if we can get into the same room with people we love and we can trust and we can pour our hearts out to. We have to do that. Well, if you'd like to become a Patreon partner for as little as $3 a month and help put these resources into the hands of the ministries that need it the most, check out our Patreon link in the show notes. And would you like a transcript of this episode? It will be available within a few days of the podcast air date, at christianitytoday.com slash carlvaders. You can find the link in the show notes. This episode was produced by Veronica Beaver, edited by Jack Wilkins. Original theme music was written and performed by Jack Wilkins of jackwilkinsmusic.com. The podcast logo was made by Solomon Joy at joyetic.com. And me, I'm Carl Vaders, and I'm a small church pastor. This episode was brought to you in part by the Enneagram and Marriage Podcast, an outreach dedicated to bringing joy, strength, intimacy, and purpose to couples seeking growth. Be sure to visit enneagramandmarriage.com to find your chemistry together again, or for the very first time.